Let's turn our Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John, the first chapter. This is an exciting season for us in that uh, many people will be gathering, family, friends, co-workers, and others, neighbors perhaps. And this is an opportunity for us to pause and just reflect on the genuineness of Christmas, the message of Christmas. You say, well, I'm not sure exactly how to do that when my family, extended family gather or my friends gather. Before the meal, when somebody's given instructions about the meal, just say, do you mind if we just stop and pause for a minute to reflect on the goodness of God? During this season, let me remind you that God has come, Emmanuel, and just offer a word of prayer to him and draw your family towards those kind of truths and take a moment to reflect on your love and God's love for others during this season. John chapter one, and we'll look at the first five verses and then move down to verse 14. Let's read God's word together. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. We just sang this word. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, just for clarity's sake, in the midst of the dark world in which we live, let's reread that verse. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. Then verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. and We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to mention three very simple terms to this passage that I think endear us to the season of Christmas and help us to know more fully the gospel. First, Jesus is God revealed. That's what John wants us to recognize first and foremost that Jesus is God revealed. Now the opening words of the gospel are wonderfully simple but they are powerful, immensely profound. Think for a moment about the magnitude of the revelation where John describes in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That one sentence is powerful, is it not? And, and really for the purposes for us to understand the significance of that, John is writing with some of the same words that Moses used when he was writing the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. And John says, in the beginning was the Word. So whereas Matthew and Luke give their gospel account with the events surrounding the birth of the Lord Jesus, John calls us back to look before time, before creation, to the beginning and even further back from the beginning. The point is that Jesus Christ, the second person to the Trinity, has always been. Now you get this a little bit more clearly when you read in the original language in which John has written uh, this gospel narrative in the Koine Greek, you find the, in its original, you've, you have an imperfect verb, the verb was, and the imper imperfect nature of it means that it, it has not yet been completed, it's not, not yet fulfilled in its completion, it's continuous, 
And uh, in this case, it's, it's written so that it would be um, translated very literally like this. There's no article, by the way, in the word beginning of the word beginning. It's not the beginning in the original language. It sounds a little bit off in our English translation if we were to do this. So uh, the articles are added and, and other things. But listen to the literal translation from the, from the Greek. In beginning was continuing the word. And the word was continuing with God, and the word was continually God. And that gives you a little bit of the significance that John wants his readers to understand. In beginning, before the beginning, was the word. He was constantly with God, and he was constantly God. In other words, there has never been a time that Jesus has not been Quite literally, he exists in eternity past and eternity future. If we could imagine, we can't do it. We have a hard time even putting it into words, much less imagining this. But if we could imagine it going back in time, millennia of time to the point of creation and even beginning before creation, go back before the Lord ever uttered a word, let it be. If you could do that, you would find Jesus Christ there. There was not a point in history from past, eternity to past, that Jesus Christ was not. And then throughout eternity, we would find that there has always been a perfect nature between the Trinity, the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And John wants us to know and to contemplate that truth that Jesus Christ, the divine, the eternal existing one, the perfect one, is in unity with the Father and the Spirit. He always has been. He always always will be no matter which direction you look in eternity from past to future you will find Christ Jesus our Lord in trying to put this in a synoptic way the writers of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 summarize this this doctrine of truth of the triune God saying the eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father Son and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes but without division of nature essence or being that's so what we believe, that God has demonstrated himself, revealed himself. We know him in three unique personalities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the word, as John uses here, is a divine title for Jesus. John is emphatically wanting his readers to know and us to know that the baby, which was heralded about from the angels to the shepherds born on Christmas day who would later grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man and walk this earth for 33 years living perfectly righteous before God and man was crucified by vile and wicked people at Calvary was gloriously resurrected on the third day was seen 40 days later ascending to heaven to the right hand of the father on his glorious throne was none other than the God of glory promised and prophesied throughout the scripture the eternal savior who was initiating the beginning when he spoke it into existence God himself has revealed himself in the first advent this is what John wants us to recognize that Jesus the eternal word the infinite one has chosen to be known the invisible one has chosen to be seen the one who was above has chosen to dwell among us below that's one of the wonders of christmas is it not that god has come in the flesh the creator has come in the form of creation fully god and yet fully man 
Thus the titles Son of God and Son of Man are used simultaneously for Christ our Lord. I love the song that we open the service with today, Noel. It's uh, from the Latin word, which means to be born. And so when we're singing those songs uh, like that, which Chris Tomlin wrote, which we open today's worship with, we recognize there's something to be heralded about the birth of Christ, the incarnate one, the one who took on flesh. From eternity past, this has been determined. I think the second verse stands out in light of what we've read from John chapter one. Listen to the second verse again. Barbara Ann has already sang it, but let's, let's listen to it for clarity's sake. Son of God and son of man, there before the world began, born to suffer, born to save, born to raise us from the grave, Christ the everlasting Lord, he shall reign forevermore. Then there's this declaration, just astonishing declaration. Noel, Noel, come and see what God has done. Noel, Noel, the story of amazing love, the light of the world given for us, Noel. Those songs that we sing that are so traditional, uh, you hear them on the radio, you hear them on your playlist, you're singing them along, and, and you're so familiar with them, but they have such great, intense depth of meaning that if we will take time in this busy season just to think about what John wanted us to know by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Noel is a big deal. From eternity past, Jesus Christ always has been. In eternity future, you will find Christ the Lord forever. And yet in a moment in time, at the advent, he came, Noel, to be born. It's a mystery, isn't it? It's the mystery of Christmas. It is the mystery of our Christian faith that Jesus is God, fully God, and yet fully man. The eternal word became flesh. Now in his flesh, Jesus is like us. Uh, he has the same mannerisms, characteristics, and everything else that deals with being born with flesh, but yet he is absolutely distinct from us. The Bible says that he is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So he is like us in flesh, but he is very distinct in his flesh. God has revealed himself, and Jesus is that revelation. He is God in the flesh. Second thing that John wants you to understand is that Jesus is life and light to all people. And you're kind of quiet out there. Are you with me today? You're not lulled with the, the pitter-patter this morning, are you? Yeah, he is the life and light to all people. In him, John says, was life, and the life was the light of men. So verse 3 proclaims that all things were created by Jesus. In fact, John makes it more emphatic saying there is nothing created that Jesus did not create. Everything is created by him. And later the, the scripture will tell us that all things are held together by him. So all things are initiated by Christ. All things are sustained by Christ. And let me just go to another level of the biblical truth. All things are for him. They are for his glory. So what a wonderful truth that is, that the creator of all things is the giver of life to all living things. He is the light of men. So Jesus gives life to everyone, and he is the light 
to all people, the saved and the unsaved. Now, that does not mean that everybody is saved. We do not believe in a universal salvation. It does mean, though, that everybody has been given life by God and is given a moral compass to the word of God. In fact, God has written his word on the hearts of all mankind. You knew when you were born, you knew that the law of God was written on your heart. It is in you not to steal. It is in you not to kill. It is in you not to lie. God has placed that in you, a moral compass. Now, in your flesh, you battle against that. And the law rises up, and it, it enables you to recognize that you are not able to keep that moral law that God has written on your heart. The law comes to us in the word that is given by God to Moses and then passed down throughout history so that we might recognize our sin and need for the mercy of God, who alone can make us holy. But that life and that light has been given to us. And some might wrongly say, well, if he is the life and light for everyone, then everybody is saved. But I'm telling you, the opposite is true. Jesus has made himself known as the light and life for all people. And in that, all people are accountable to him, whether they receive him or deny him. All people are accountable to him. And so everyone comes into this world by the life that has been given to them by Christ Jesus and they are enlightened to the truth because the creator has written his moral law on their hearts. However, that does not mean that they're walking in the light. It does not mean that they're walking in the way of Christ or his truth. And they have rejected that which God has offered to them. And I'm telling you, if you reject that which God has offered to you, you will sink further into despair and darkness. The more you reject light, the more you embrace darkness. And some of us have walked in that way, and you wonder how dark can it get? It can get darker. It's the reason why you need to come to light. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. That's why Jesus was coming when God is here in the flesh when he is Emmanuel God with us what he is doing he is coming to take us out of the kingdom of darkness and by his grace usher us into a kingdom of light not just any kingdom of light but the kingdom of light established by Christ himself for he is the light of men so Christmas is that it is God coming to bring us into a kingdom of light. And you see this from the very start. When the angels announced the birth of Christ to those shepherds and the darkness of the field, the glory of the Lord shone around them, right? That was the glorious light of God that was being demonstrated to those who were hearing that a Savior had been born. The Savior had been born. Years later, when Jesus was in his public ministry and he was teaching, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's no wonder we decorate with light at Christmas. I don't know how many trees we have around this campus, but we've got a number of trees around the campus, not an ornament on any of them, but a white light there. That is very intentional. Because the light of Christ is what we need. It's what we're desperate for. It's the hope of Christmas that light has come 
amidst the darkness. So no wonder we cherish the light of the world during Christmas. Second, the life is the light to all people. Third, Jesus is God gloriously dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. It's not just that God has dwelled among us, but his glory is demonstrated in God dwelling among us, and that glory is identified as grace and truth by John in this text. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, beheld his glory, the glory as of the Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. I love the narrative of Luke regarding Christmas. I I may teach on that next week. It's such a cherished passage for us. And and Luke, as you know, is a detailed guy. He gives us 2,500 words in describing what, what happened on Christmas John uses eight. John's just about as succinct as you can get. And and the eight words that he determines to use, this is Christmas in John's nutshell, if you will. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. What is this Christmas about? I can tell you this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, If you want to give a synopsis of Christmas to your family before you gather them together to eat, just remind them, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What what an amazing truth of summary that that is. The wonder of Christmas is that Jesus, who is fully God at all times, became fully man in order that he might dwell among us and those two natures the nature of God and the nature of human flesh define who Jesus Christ is he was making it possible to be the perfect mediator between God and man how because he is God and he is man that makes him the perfect mediator and I might say as Hebrews would say it makes him the perfect high priest as well fully God and fully man Now, throughout the Gospel of John, he draws attention to this over and over and over, the divine interacting with the common troubles and the brokenness of the the world, of mankind, of people. And it's not just narratives about what happens in and around the life of Jesus, but Jesus is very specifically, as God and man, engaging people in the midst of their brokenness. The first thing that we see Jesus doing in in John's gospel that's miraculous in any way is he's in Canaan. Remember this? And there's a wedding. Uh, Jesus, as a man, has been invited by friends to be at this wedding. Now, there's an embarrassing situation that's happened at this wedding. The host has run out of wine. And the mother of Jesus gets involved in this, like mothers do. And she tells the man who's in charge of giving the wine to people, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And Jesus pulls her aside. It's not my time. This is not my time for my glory to be demonstrated in this way. You remember what he does? He takes those water pots, those ceremonial cleansing water pots where people are coming into the house and they're ceremonially cleaning themselves it's not doing anything like washing with soap 
the dirt off your hands. It is ceremonial cleansing. And Jesus takes that water and he turns that into wine. Do you remember another time when water pots were turned? You have to go way back in the history of the Bible. At this time, Moses is coming before Pharaoh who has held the people of God in captivity. And Moses is announcing God's judgment to the king of Egypt. And he says, God says, let my people go. And when Pharaoh hardens himself, Pharaoh takes his staff, the rod of God, and he makes the water of the Nile turn to blood. And all the fish die. The water goes foul. Remember this? But it's not just the water of the Nile. The Bible says that it's the ponds. It's the tributaries. It's the water pots. Isn't that astounding that Jesus would take that symbol of judgment and let that be his first miracle? In other words, what the Son of God is doing as the Son of Man is he is taking and blessing people with the kingdom of God with grace and truth. And he is extending the joy and the celebration of his kingdom coming to heaven. It is not a kingdom of judgment. It is a kingdom of grace where he is offering to people joy that only the Son of Man can offer them. Amidst their brokenness, Jesus is offering them a kingdom of grace and truth. How glorious is that? And then John goes on to give us more narrative in this great text uh, of the gospel. We see a Roman official who comes to ask Jesus to go to his son and heal his son who was sickened to death. And Jesus says, well, just go on home. Uh, he'll be okay. And on the way home, he finds out that the son is actually good, that uh, he arrives and he is healthy. And they, he inquires of his people there in the household, when did he get well? And it was the time that Jesus said, just go on home. Your boy's going to be okay. In that moment, Jesus, the Son of God, who is the Son of Man, has touched that man's son in order to give him wellness and healing. Why? Because he's demonstrating a kingdom that is full of glory and grace and truth, where God has come to engage in the brokenness of people. And then John goes on to tell us about the story of a, a woman who is brought to him while he's there at the temple. And people have brought her there, the officials have, because she is one who has been caught in adultery and they say in a, in a trap kind of way, now the law of Moses commanded that we should stone such women. What do you say? And Jesus in the flesh takes his finger and he begins to write in the dirt. The Bible doesn't tell us what he's writing about in the dirt. Maybe he's writing their names and the sins that they've committed and that they have hidden in their heart. Maybe it's the things that they are struggling with themselves. And Jesus looks to them and says, the one who has no sin, you ought to be the one to cast the first stone. And you know what they did one by one. They just dropped those stones and walked away. And Jesus looked to that woman. He says, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. And he said, neither I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Why? Because Emmanuel, God, had come to dwell with us and to engage us in our brokenness and take us out of those places of the kingdom of darkness and bring us into a kingdom of light, a glorious kingdom. 
Jesus encountered a man who had been an invalid for 38 years and he was longing to be healed so he was at a pool that was superstitious in nature just believing that the angels could come and stir the water and the first one in is going to get healed Jesus is there among all of them because that's what the son of man has come to do to engage in the brokenness of mankind and he says to the man who is asking him might you even just lift me and put me in the pool because there's nobody else that can do this and Jesus says why don't you just take up your bed and walk (laughs) and the man gets up first time in 38 years and he rolls up his mat and he walks and the Pharisees and the scribes said who did this who told you to pick up your mat that's against the law on the Sabbath according to them why why does John tell us that kind of stuff because he wants us to know that God came to dwell in the flesh to engage people in the brokenness of their flesh who are living in a kingdom of darkness and all the curse of judgment that it's against them he's come to show the glory of God to bring them into the glory of God with grace and truth and that's what he's doing today The word in which he is given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is still speaking those truths. His spirit, the spirit of truth, is still helping us to discover who Jesus Christ is. He is in the midst of the world of darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome his light. And he's offering us with grace and truth to come to his kingdom to repent, to turn from those things of the kingdom of brokenness, to believe in him, trust into him, and come to his kingdom of light. And all those are little snapshots about one day when Jesus' kingdom will not be spiritual alone. It will be physical as well. And there will be no lame men. And there will be no sinful adultery. And there will be no one sick and diseased or like the widow's son from Nain, there will be none that he has to arrest death and do away with it. It will all be done away with. And we will live in a kingdom of glory. So whether Jesus taught people or fed them with words of truth or with fish and bread, whether he was raising a dead widow's son or as he was crossing the funeral procession, Jesus, the Son of Man, revealed God's glory with grace and truth. He's just gracious and bearing forth truth in all those circumstances. And you say, Randy, okay, I get it. Why is this so important? It's important to us because Jesus brought the glorious kingdom of God full of grace and full of truth, and he was perfectly divine, fully man, which was necessary for him to be able to do that, to hold the office of mediator, suspended between the sinfulness of mankind and the holiness of God in heaven he's the perfect high priest who hears us who knows us and knows our struggles and says I'm providing a kingdom for you a kingdom of glory in John's words the word became flesh and dwelt among us they may be few but they are significant in meaning the word dwelt uh, carries this notion of a tent I kind of want to buy a tent and put it out in some woods that that we own and and bring the grandkids there and 
sleep there, but then I think about, I'm 30 yards from the house where I have a bed, a heater, a wife to cuddle with, and all those things that are just wonderful. Coffee in the morning, prop up with a pillow, it's, it's grand. So I haven't bought a tent. Maybe. Maybe we'll buy a tent, put it up in the house, and just kind of hang out there for a while. That's the word that John is using when he says dwelt. It's why the classic amplified version of the Bible says the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. He set up his tent here on earth in order to live with us. He's tabernacling with us. Now, you and I know that a tent is a temporary dwelling you're not going to be able to dwell in a tent forever. I might talk about this later, but I'm too, too afraid it's going to burst the bubbles for a lot of people, so let me just get it out, though. Many people believe that Christmas actually occurs in the fall because it probably occurred, they say, when all of Israel for a week dwelt in tents to remind them of the time that God tabernacled with them while they were wandering around in the wilderness that God's presence was with them. And many people believe that Jesus actually came to be born during the week of the festival of tents where he would dwell with us here on earth. I like the notion of that. I'm not so sure about Christmas in August or <laughs> some, sometime in the fall but I like the notion of that. He dwelt among us. Like he pitched his tent right here to live where we are. Where, where you go, he's going. In other words, it's, it's like that in the, in the Old Testament where God was telling the people of Israel, I want you to move. He would move his presence, that, that grand cloud or that Shekinah glory that would be in the night visible. So when he moved, the people of God were to move. And when they moved, they were to pick up that tent and they were to march wherever God's presence was and then God would manifest his presence there amidst the tent the tabernacle the tent of meeting and he would dialogue with Moses give instruction worship would take place there now there's nothing spectacular on the outside of the tent of meeting there's the tabernacle uh, was nothing that you would be mystified by all the glory was inside it wasn't on the outside in fact on the outside, all the furniture in the court was not made of silver or gold. All the furniture outside was made of brass. The curtains on the outside were unadorned linen, bleached out by the sun of the desert. The outside, there was nothing significant about that tent. But inside, inside was absolutely glorious. Inside, the inner hangings were purple-colored, and blue colored and scarlet colored fine linens with art, beautiful art. All the interior furniture was overlaid or it was made of solid gold. The mysterious Shekinah glory that overshadowed the camp of Israel came to rest there inside that tabernacle on the mercy seat where it flooded the interior with the glory of God. All that was unseen by the people. 
but it was glorious inside. John is proclaiming something amazing about this wonderful truth of the birth of Jesus Christ. He says, and we have seen his glory. We've seen it. When the Son of God in flesh came to tabernacle with us, according to the Bible, there was nothing about his outward appearance that we would find striking. That makes sense. But the glory was in him. As he was tabernacling with us, his glory was veiled with human flesh. Now, it was odd, but there was a time that, that the glory of the Son of Man was seen. Peter, James, and John saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in that moment, the glory of Christ was evident. It was not veiled with the flesh that he had walked around on earth. Might I remind you that there will be a day in which you and I will see the glory of Christ? In that day, it will be different than the first advent. The second advent, all the world will see his glory. They will be struck by him. And they will marvel at him. And they will fear him. And in his awe, they will bow their knee and declare who he is. He is Lord. He is king. They will give him his glory. How we marvel at John's words. Wondering what it would be like to have God tabern- tabernacle with us, dwell with us. But my friends... We have something greater than Jesus just living in the flesh among us. We have him tabernacling, not with us, but in us by his spirit. In fact, when he was departing this earth and he was telling the disciples about this impending event that was happening, he says, hey, I'm going to the Father. It's good for you that I do so because I will ask and he will send the Holy Spirit and he will be with you and he will remind you of everything that I've taught you and he will give power to you so that you might be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and all the ends of the earth. He will be in you, tabernacling in you. So listen, on the outside, things don't look too good the older we get. The more wrinkles we get, the grayer the hair gets. Things start sagging and falling and getting out of place. But listen with our days with Jesus Christ. The one who tabernacles in us, the inner man is growing more glorious. The inner person, more glorious, more beautiful. And one day he will make us not just glorious in spirit, but he will make us glorious in our flesh. So that we'll be not just perfect like him on the outside, but we will be perfect without sin or the inclination of sin. How wonderful will that be? All that is encapsulated by this understanding from John, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. What, what, a, what an outstanding gospel John is declaring to us. So by God coming in flesh, three great things were accomplished that means we have salvation in him. And that is, it made it possible for God to die in our stead. And so God came as the Son of Man to die in our stead. 
And God came so that he might touch us in the midst of our brokenness and show us his kingdom where there will be no brokenness. And God came and lived a life in which he says, follow me. What a glorious truth John gives us. So this Christmas, receive his glory, full of grace, full of truth. Receive his glory. Some of you have yet to do that. You've yet to know who Christ is, but now today, God has given you by the words of the disciple John, he has given you insight to who the Savior is. Put your faith and trust in him. Reject everything else. Deny all that in your life that is not of him. Repent of that and come. Commit yourself in belief to him. Some of you, it's not just receiving his glory, but it's letting his glory be revealed in you. Letting your life be full of his glory. And that means for some of you, you need to be restored and revived this Christmas. I pray that your faith and your trust too would be in the one who will touch you with grace and truth so that your life might be lived unto his glory. Let's pray together. In the moment, Lord, as we're just contemplating your word and considering the magnitude of you coming in the flesh, help us to take that first advent and carry it all the way through to the glory that was revealed on the cross for you came not just as a baby God incarnate but you came as the one who would be the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world may that truth help us to reflect more fully on what this Christmas is all about in the name of Jesus I pray amen